Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. We've got something very different for you. So the man I'm about to interview, you've probably seen him on TV if you're in the UK. He's regularly on ITV this morning, BBC's The One Show. He's just finished series two of Judge Rinder's Crime Stories. He's often on BBC Radio. He's a, a published author. He's written a book called The Jam Jar. And he is the go-to guy when anyone wants to do anything in the media on politicians or celebrities to see if they're lying. He's known as the human lie detector. He was in the police for over a decade. Then he's a student and a master of NLP and body language and subconscious tell signs. Now, I was very excited to do this interview. We discuss reading people and assessing if they're telling the truth in sales, some of his stories in the police where people have outrageously lied to him and some examples and you know, some shocking things he's seen. We discussed also in detail when you're hiring people, you're recruiting, uh, watching out for their tells as to whether they're telling the truth or not, how to get behind what they're saying if they're you know, just good at being interviewed. He's got seven or eight major ways that you can tell if people are lying. They're called um, micro tells, which you can see for a fraction of a second. He discusses all of those on the podcast. So now let's get straight on to the interview with Darren Stanton, known as the human lie detector. Darren, thanks for coming on the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. You're very welcome, thank you. I'm really intrigued. How does one become known as the human lie detector? I sometimes wonder that myself, <laughs> to be honest with you, Rob. It was a PR man's idea. I right. met a guy... I think it's good, by the way. It's very good. Yeah. Well, it goes back to 2009, 10, something like that. Yeah. I was at a networking event, and I met this guy that used to be a, a journalist for Daily Mirror. Yeah guy called Steve McComish, and he was setting his own PR company up. And as I was sat there drinking my wine and uh, uh, drumstick, he, uh, he said, I've got, yeah, we should have a meeting. I've got a few ideas. So a few weeks later, went in and had a chat with him because I was looking at kind of getting my profile up there a bit more, moving more into media. Because right. until that time, obviously, I was still in the police, but I was still sort of doing other things as well. And he said, I've got a great idea. He says, can you tell when people are, are kind of lying? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm sort of trained in that stuff. And he went, human lie detector. And at the time, Cheryl Cole had just been cheated on by Ashley Cole and the, the general election was looming. So he fired a press release out and it just went ballistic. Right. And that's, that was the start of it. Wow. And you built up all of this knowledge of understanding people's tells and if they're lying in the police, I guess your long career in the police? Well, when I was a kid, there used to be a show on Donkeys years ago, which some people may or may not remember called Cracker with Robbie Coltrane. Yes, I do. I'm just about young, old enough for that. He, yeah. uh, and I used to love that show. I was really inspired by it. So I did psychology at uni. Right. So I wanted to be crack. I wanted to be like this, this <laughs> you know, sort of psychologist that went around cracking crimes and stuff. Yeah. And, and like most things in life, you know, the reality of it was nothing like the fiction. Mm. So um, once I graduated and spent a little bit of time in the prison service, absolutely hated it because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I was looking around and I had a few friends that are in the police. So I basically went and went to the police force in Nottinghamshire. Yeah. And then try, eventually transferred to Derbyshire. I was in about 17, 18 years in total. And what did you do in the force? I was a response officer, so going to 999 calls. Right. And in the course of doing your job, you're naturally speaking to people on a daily basis on interview that mm. are suspected of offences. Right. So I think even though somebody, maybe they haven't got a degree in psychology, 
when you're talking to people in that context, a lot of the time, you know, you do tend to build up a the ability to build rapport quite quickly, but also you begin to get a, a kind of a copper's nose, they tend to call it, yeah. where you'll get kind of a lot of experience in terms of being able to decipher where people are being open and honest with you and where people are trying to sort of shift liability. Because yeah. the consequences of obviously being discovered of, of being involved are obviously prison or, or you know, that's yeah. worst case scenario. So people did tend to give off a lot of signals. But right. essentially my training comes from NLP, yeah. linguistic programming, a thing called micro-expression training tool, and, and, and psychology yeah. and, and experience. Okay. Really. So I can see this interview going down two roads and let's have some fun here. Some sure. sort of the more fun lying, spotting stuff, Darren Brown, NLP, all that, and yeah. then the using it for sales and marketing Absolutely. as a, an ethical way. Yes. For example, clients or leads yeah. lie to you all the time. Oh, I'll pay you tomorrow, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, I'm really interested in this. I'll get back to you. Yeah. And did your police training help you spot all those tells for people in business? Well, basically, the, the signs that people give off in deception are all linked like, to emotion and then also to liability. So when I get interviewed, I've done a lot of interviews now over the years, and yeah. you know, journalists often say, well, I'll, I'll think of three things and I'll make one a lie. And I'll say, look, it's not going to work because I'm not Darren Brown. It's not yeah. a trick. I'm not a magician. Mm. So basically, there's a thing called detection apprehension, which basically means what's that person's perceived perception of the consequences if they're discovered in the lie? Right. Now, you know, if I steal your muller light out of the fridge, you know, if I say, look, Rob, I didn't take your yoghurt, you know, the consequences are going to be minimal. Yeah. You know, you may, I may use a little bit of, of, of trust with you, but principally, I'm not going to go to prison for that. So emotionally, you know, there's not much impact on me as an individual. Right. So there's less tells because there's a weak, yeah. not a strong an emotion. There's, yeah. So if I, effectively, I'm not really too bothered if I get discovered stealing a yoghurt. Yeah. Whereas if you then say, well, there's money missing in the office, you know, I've got to ask everybody, you know, Darren be honest and if I did do it there's going to be a certain leakage is what we call and it can you give us a few examples of it? yeah so for example I mean there's a bit of a myth that people looking in certain directions yeah. that's a myth but what it does do it gives you a great understanding of you know how people are processing things so, so you mean if they're trying to make up a story and imagine it yeah or if they can recall it yeah so no one thing will give a clue to deception there's about eight or nine different variables so some some you know, everyone's got a baseline. So, you know, on a well-known chat show, when they do a lie detector test, they'll ask somebody maybe 10 or 20 control questions, so things that are true. So you're observing their standard yeah. normal Yeah, so where they, look with, where they look with the rise of information, yeah. uh, where blood goes, ears, nose, lips, yeah. fight or flight syndrome, how people are animated or not. And also there's a thing called voice risk analysis. So insurance companies use it now. So when, when people are putting in a fraudulent claim, the computer software can detect changes in voice pitch. Wow. So, <laughs> so it, I mean, even the human ear is imperceptible sometimes, but essentially I'm looking for breaks in eight or nine patterns of baseline behaviour. And can you list those patterns there? Yeah, so it'll be breaking eye contact, it will be changes in voice, it will be shifting posture. Some people overcompensate eye contact because they say that liars can't look you in the eye. Right. So as you and I look yeah. at each other right now, normal eye contact is three to five seconds. Yeah. One, two... Three. So for now, at five seconds, slightly uncomfortable, so you look away. Whereas, look, Rob, I didn't take your yoghurt, you know, and it's this overcompensation right. that it becomes a red flag. Yeah. So it's generally... So you're looking for inconsistencies in behaviour. Yeah. But whereas the Darren Brownie NLP of this world thinks, that, oh, that's the inconsistency, that means X, it's compared yeah. to someone's yeah. personality. Yeah. And even yeah. so, even these techniques, even a polygraph 
is maybe 70 to 85 percent accurate because that's why it's not evidential yeah so there are people that can give off false positives right. as a police officer when i was behind a vehicle sometimes you could you know some people were nervous you know so you do a traffic stop but they might be nervous anyway and they're nervous yeah. so they're their baseline you know, I mean, most, I mean, I do now. You know, I've been in the job. Yeah. Get a police car behind you. You know. Yeah. So people, some people's baselines are quite nervous anyway. Mm. So you have to compensate for that. So it's a dangerous thing to suddenly say, "Well, I think you've been deceptive." Yeah. You know, there's got to be overwhelming changes in in the baselines, mm. such as voice, eyes, posture, and another key thing that we look for is a thing called micro expressions. The guy in the states called Paul Ekman, who was behind the show called Lie to Me which people may or may not be aware yes. of, with, with Tim Roth. Yes, that's great. I used to love that show. Yeah, I mean, I love that show. So this guy, Paul Ekman, I mean, I think he's in like his mid-late 70s now, based in San Francisco. And he did, he went to like Papua New Guinea for like 10 years and studied people in, in the outback who'd never been in Western civilization. And what he discovered was that no matter where you are in the world, no matter what culture you come from, there may be cultural differences. So, for example, I think it's Greece. You know, if they, if they sort of say yes, they, they sort of shake their head and say yes. So with the micro-expressions, he discovered there's only seven basic laws of human expression. Go on then, let's have that. So we, we can be happy, we yeah. can be sad, we can show fear, we can be surprised, yeah. show anger, yeah. and we can show contempt and disgust. And even people that have been congenitally blind since birth, they'll still flash the same yeah. expressions even though they've never had any visual clues. Yeah, because they're doing that in the TV show, aren't they? They're, trying, they're watching little bits of footage yeah. and, and, and then they see an emotion just spill out. Exactly. And, so, that, and that's true to life, is it? That's, that's real, yeah. So these yeah. are basically like fifth of a second. Yes. So if you've got two people, one gets promoted over the other, you know, so let's say, for example, you've just got some really good news and I go, oh, I'm so pleased for you, Rob, that's fantastic. I've just flashed disgust yeah, at you. Yeah, I saw that face. And I slowed yes. it down to make yeah. it visible. Oh, right. So, I thought I was getting good at this. <laughs> yeah. so, so essentially, you think, well, why, why would these underlying emotion be disgust? So that's another thing is my emotion's not consistent with what I'm telling you. Yeah. So that becomes a red flag. Right. So no one thing is a, is a guide to deceit. Yeah. And the other interesting question is, okay, well, we've established a breaking pattern. So why would that be? Why, yeah. why, why are they trying to hoodwink me? Yeah, because for example, in a sales situation where maybe you know you're in a one-to-one position where they're lying, yeah. it's because they maybe you know they'd be embarrassed to turn you down, Absolutely. or they don't want any conflict, or they like you and don't yeah. want to hurt your feelings, and they're not necessarily really unethical standpoints. Not at all. They just they just want they'll rather lie than feel uncomfortable. And I think we've all been in a position because I've done a lot of sales as well, and obviously I have to sell myself every day for for my business. And sometimes people will, will give you false objections, won't they? Yeah. You know, they'll say, well, the other guy's cheaper than you. And yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll get a kind of a glimpse of something. So it's, A, it's about establishing that deep rapport with that person. Because sometimes people don't want to be honest with you. And they're not trying to hurt you. Sometimes, you know, I mean, statistically, we can be lied to up to 200 times a day. Wow. And the majority of those are white lies. It's to avoid conflict yes. and, and hurting your feelings. Yeah. You know, so the example is obviously a partner or... Some, you know, maybe one employee says, oh, do you like my new hair or my new top? And yeah, that's great. How do I look in this? You know, you know when your fiancé or wife says that. Yeah. I, think, I think majority of, of guys. Okay. I think what yeah. I found is women are more inclined to say, I don't like it. More When guys are more inclined to, to lie and say, you know, I think you look great. Right. That's what you know, the evidence seems to sort of suggest. Yeah. Okay, so I've had something that's popped in my head, I want to go there and then come back. Yeah. So I did a little test. I love to read, study. Absolutely. And I read a book called Radical Honesty yeah. a while back. And I feel truth is important. Mm. And maybe in the last 10 years, I've tried to live by more truths. 
Sure. Of course, I'm a human being. I'm not going to beat myself up if I yeah. something spills out. And that's, I did this little test in an interview. We were interviewing someone, and he was really nervous, right. really nervous. And I'm a bit more forgiving of nervous people now because you yeah. don't really see the real them in the no. interview. Uh, and and, and we, he was losing us and we were losing him and it was a bit obvious yeah. and I cut it a little bit short and I said, Look, I just want to be honest with you, we're not going to hire you, I think you've probably had too many jobs in your CV and I don't think this is right, really appreciate you coming, gave him a smile and he went back and he put the stinking, this stinkingest complaint in really? to the recruitment agent and he was like, Robbie's an evil, I'm going to go and tell everyone how wow. awful that company is and I thought, I've just done something really good here. Yeah, yeah, but honest, yeah. And it, it's not just... I thought I was doing the right thing for him, yes. but obviously I wasn't. And also it gave us a bit of a bad reputation with our recruitment agent. And so Mark was like, Mark was looking at me when I was doing this interview and going, what? <laughs> uh, and, and afterwards he said you just should have shook his hand and blah. What's, what are your thoughts on that? See, Radical honesty versus white lies. See, I, I, I would love to have a, do like a social experiment where maybe a personal group of people I mean, it goes about that film with Jim Carrey, Yes Man, doesn't it? Yeah. Where you ever seen that film? Yeah. Where he just tells, and he gets himself into so much shtick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would be interested to see the results of, of, of an individual that literally lives that for 24 hours, because I think it would cause so much upset. Yeah. So, so, so are you saying that sometimes lies, white lies, they are a better thing to do or they serve a better purpose? See, I'm, I'm more inclined to, to be honest, if someone says, because I expect the truth, if I said, Rob, what do you think about this? And you said, to be honest, Darren, this is good, this is not so good. I think you should maybe look at this. Then I think that I'd say, yeah, because I'm that sort of person that thrives on feedback. But for a lot of people, they don't. So I think, A, it's an individual thing for that person because some people can't deal with it. Yeah. So I think it just stays on the side of what you think is appropriate in that mm. situation. And probably having a good understanding of the person. Yeah. Like if I'd have known that person would have reacted like that, I could have just said, thanks maybe for coming to the interview. Here's the next stage. Yeah. But I think we're all, you know, even as kids, you know, we're kind of told at Christmas... Just say you love that jumper, wear it at Christmas, wear it at dinner. Yeah. You know, you sit there with this horrible, hideous jumper yeah. or something. So we're kind of brought up to, to kind of be deceptive, but maybe it's 12 or 13, we kind of grow out of it. But yeah. some do, I mean, I'm sure you have in business, there's a reasonable amount of people that are pathologically inclined in, in lying, that mm. they'll just lie for no reason, even if there's nothing to gain from it. Yeah. They just have adopted that, that, that kind of behavior. Mm. And that's very interesting. So are you saying then that there isn't necessarily a one size fits all strategy for whether we are all truth? Yeah. And it's based on the person and how you think serves their best interests? I think for me, it comes down to what's that person's intention for being deceptive. So there's different degrees on a, on a scale. If it's to, to kind of, you know, hoodwink that person or con that person, then obviously it's not a good thing. But I think sometimes if it's to avoid conflict or to avoid hurting that person, maybe sometimes it's appropriate. Yeah. You know, so it is, it's a, it's a, it's a massive grey area. Yeah. And like you say, it's a perfect example of, of one, fits, fit, uh, one size fits all. It doesn't really. No. And also, you know, you, if you know you've just been lied to and you call someone out on it. Yeah that can really break rapport. You could build an enemy for life, couldn't you? Well, because, you could. Because they're, they're protecting something by lying and then you call them out on it. Yeah, I think, I think people around me now, they kind of tend not to, not because I'm this big ogre or anything, but they just tend to be honest with me if I say, yeah. what do you think about this? They're well, going, if you're known as the human lie detector, then... <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, um, I'm human. I mean, if, yeah. you know, wouldn't you know these skills? If I said something to you, you'd go, Darren, I, I saw something there. Yeah. So I've got the same physiology and neurology as you. And as everybody else, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm not unique, I'm not special. Yeah. I've just followed followed a path and, and got to a level where I've, I'm, I'm pretty competent at it, mm. like, like most people in business. Right. So it's not something that, that anybody else with an interest can't learn. Sure.
something I feel like I've learned over the years, and of course I'm never perfect, always learning more, yeah. is if you ever call someone a liar, for me that is 100% of the time a bad thing to do. Mm. What do you think about that? That's a really good question. I think, again, it's context-specific. It depends how you do it as well. If you say, I don't think you've been completely honest with me. You know, I've done that with, with, with plenty of people in business, yeah. you know, and some people go on the defensive. Mm. Or, and, or could you say, oh, I've been, someone else told me X, or I did a bit of research and I thought X. Yeah. Am I wrong here? Yeah. So, for example, if you, you know someone's done wrong, uh, one way of doing this, it's called a silver bullet. You could say, oh, um, someone asked me about the situation that they're going through at the moment. What do you think should happen to that person if they get caught? Right. So then you are you are eliciting what they think. You're testing their moral. You're testing their moral, yeah, their moral compass. Ah. So there's lots of little kind of mind games that you can you can run on people. Yeah. I had I've got a friend. Um, oh, is this one of those? I've got a friend. <laughs> no, I have got a friend that's um, whose husband was working away and coming back. He was in in the forces and was coming coming back maybe every couple of months. And when as soon as I met him. Sometimes in, in life, you meet people, don't you? And you either gel with them quite straight away or you think there's something not quite right about you. And I said, oh, he was asking me about my work. And I said, yeah, I, said, I had a thing the other day, actually. I said, um, I, I said to a guy, be honest with me, have you been cheated on me while you've been away? Now, he wasn't sure if I was asking him directly, yeah. but I framed it as if a third person. But in that hesitation, I saw about seven or eight leakage symbols. Wow. And a year later, it's come out that he has been cheating galore. Right. So my dilemma was, should I tell her what I think? So I didn't, you know, because I thought it's a big thing to say to somebody. Mm. But now and, that and she's... And actually, if you haven't got proof... And again, that is the key thing, is that none of this stuff replaces hard, the hard truth. Yeah. I do a lot of work with HR people, train HR people in, in spotting people on, on interview. Mm. Remind us to come back to that, because I'd like to talk yeah. about that. Yeah, well, I won't go off that tangent then, yeah. but... But essentially, I always say that this is not by no means a, re a replacement for an HR process. It's just, you know, there to support and enhance what people already do. Mm. So sometimes when you watch the police shows, they're going into the house, they're interviewing the perpetrator. They come out and they go, oh, I know they're lying. Is it like that? No. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, the police are the most retroactive people for these sorts of techniques. Right. I actually repitched a lot of police forces and they won't touch it because you're trained in a process called the peace model. And that is? And that is about 50 years old, but that's essentially where you have a plan of an interview and you just follow a complete, you have a list of topics that you want to discuss. So it might be, where were we at the time? You know, do you know this person? And you never ask a question unless you, you've already got the answer. So, you know, right. you, you, yes. and you're not allowed to be, you're not allowed to kind of play mind games because that's classed as oppressive. Uh -huh. And believe it or not, silence, a lot of people hate silence. Yes. Whereas if I sat there quietly for about 15 seconds, the solicitor would very often say, obviously, you've been oppressive, even though That's we're not. interesting. Yeah, so the police are very, very in the box. Yeah, I suppose you've, there's a lot of peripheral things about getting sued and... Yeah, yeah. 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 All kind of but thing. all the, you know, especially in the States, and I spend quite a lot of time in the States, uh, went up with the sort of LAPD on a bit of a ride along and, and see how they do things, and that was amazing. But they're trained in all this stuff, like the TSA at the airports, they're trained in micro-expressions and all this sort of stuff and other countries around the world are. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's interesting. Have you ever sat when you're in the police and you just thought, that is an outrageous lie? Can they give us some examples? Yeah, I mean, there was one in, in fact, it's interesting, a uh, guy comes to, comes to mind, um, he was a prolific burglar and like, the evidence was overwhelming um, in terms of people seeing him CCTV, but he would just sit there and say, no, I was never there. You know, just completely front it out. Mm. And I thought, as an individual, psychologically, 
like I say what are called second positioning. So I sat in his in his head, reverse the process. And I thought, how could you sit there with all this evidence and still go, no, it wasn't me, you'd be mistaken. Mm. But what could, what do you do? You know, it's he did get charged and and, and sort of convicted. But um, so it was his strategy then to almost show with overconfidence. Yes, yeah. and some people do. I mean, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I mean, I wasn't using these skills officially in my role as a cop, but they did help me. Mm. You know, so if I saw certain things, I mean, I, I, an officer once, I've seen an officer once said, "Darren, check everything, believe nothing." Yeah, trust but verify. Yeah, yeah. You know, so sometimes people would seem very, very plausible, and you think, "Well, there's no, I can't believe this guy's involved in this." But then you'd you'd kind of check out their story, and it it was rubbish. So you know anyone could be hoodwinked, no matter how good they are. Yeah. So that's in the police. What about in business or personal life? Any like outrageous lies? Or oh, you do a lot for the media, don't you? You comment yes. on a lot of the big celebrities. Yeah. So I mean, Donald Trump's paying paying my bills at the moment. <laughs> so I write, I write sort of freelance for the Daily Express, and I've sort of wrote about about twenty articles in the last month. Um, again, politicians are great because they do go off to lots They're of They're a great tells. subject for you, you They're mean. a great yeah. subject, yeah. Um, the one person that I've been asked to assess in politics who gives nothing away is Tony Blair. Oh, wow. He is like a lizard on a rock. Like, I assessed the Iraq inquiry a few years ago, and he sits like this, because he was obviously he used to be a barrister, but his posture is like this, and he doesn't move. You can't get a baseline on him. He's just so stoic. Right. Whereas somebody like, say, Cameron... Not so much to do with deception, but to do with anxiety. Mm. He would lick his lips and he would step back a little bit from the podium, yeah. which psychologically is saying, I've got no confidence in what I've just told you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certain politicians have, have their tells. Yeah. So is there anything recently in the media which you saw as an outrageous lie? Not politically. Um, it's more to do with... I mean, the one thing I've worked on is, is like Donald Trump. I mean, the media are obsessed with Donald Trump, for example, yeah. and his handshake, you know, like he'll yank people towards you mm. um, and that's a big test to do with personal space so if you if you're not going to allow yourself to be pulled in then he knows you're going to be a little bit a little bit difficult to deal with right but i've not seen anybody sort of overtly blatantly lying yeah because they're all they are trained in, in all this stuff but of course but even so they even though they are trained in it they can still give off lots of tells but yeah generally it's more to do with anxiety or maybe not believing with whole conviction what they've just said. So let's now delve into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Sure. Why don't we start in sales? Because I know you consult and do sales training. Yeah. And you do it for HR departments as well. Absolutely. So let's 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 go in sales first. Sure. So where do we start? I'm going to be led by you this time. Where do, where should we start a discussion with the human lie detector in the world of sales? Well, again, you know, there's no there's no sort of. Um, a compensation in terms of having rapport with that person. So, so you know, a salesperson should still do what they've always done if it works for them. But what I do is I teach in terms of building an enhanced rapport so people may be aware of matching a mirror and posture. You know, so if you and I are talking and then at some point I'll kind of shift a little bit about my posture or something. The theory is if, you, if you're in rapport with me as a, as a prospect, then you will shift your posture, you know, in line with me. Yep. And that, that denotes that you're kind of, I'm leading you sort of unconsciously. And the reason for that is, is that, you know, you're being very receptive to what I'm saying. And I'm sure we're all aware of how people can be quite visually referenced or more auditory or more touchy-feely. Yeah. So I teach a lot of salespeople to spot the signs and signals of what, what the, their prospect has a predominance in. So, for example, if they're very visual in, in the way that they buy things and I'm very auditory, you know, I will say, does that does that sound like a good idea to you, Rob? And you yeah. may you may say overtly yes, it may seem okay, 
But because you, you're processing things visually, you know, a more appropriate thing would be to say, how does that look to you, Rob? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're looking for the visual yeah. cues in the language. So you're looking to, to match your language to that per, the way that a person's sort of processing what you're saying. Yeah. Likewise, if someone's quite kinesthetic, quite touchy-feely, you know, if I'm selling you this cup, if I don't let you play with that cup, it's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. So in order to get, get the you know, to close them, you're more inclined to get a deal if you let them play with the product, if you recognise that yeah. that person's more of a kinesthetic person. Right, OK. And you, you referenced, I think you said, advanced rapport, did you say? You used it? Yeah, so that's, again, looking at and in terms of what we call anchoring. Are yeah. you aware of or anchoring at all? Well, I might be, but let's see. OK, so we can look at um, maybe a picture or we can, we can smell something or we can hear a piece of music and it will trigger a memory. Yes. That's an, like an unconscious response that we've learnt. Yes, when That's, I hear the song Jeremy by Pearl Jam, I basically start to cry because I played it when my first girlfriend, who I ever had, dumped me. <laughs> and that was like, I obviously yeah, still haven't got over yeah, that, as you yeah. can see. So, so you know, that, that is a perfect example that, as far as the mind's concerned, because I'm, I'm back on sort of hypnosis as well, as far as the mind's concerned, the mind and body are linked. So by hearing that, you know, a lot of people, you know, although you may be over that now, for some people, um, anchors that have been established in childhood yeah. can still be very, very powerful now. Yes. So what you do is when you say to somebody, I would, I would say to you, think about a time in the past you made a really good decision, Rob. And in, in that moment where you're th considering what you're saying, what you're going to say back to me, if you're quite a visual person, you will look away. And in psychology, we call it a transderivational search and you're kind of playing a little picture. Now, I wouldn't respond back to you until you come back to me. Yes. But then when I come to pre-close you, I will gesture in the area that you were seeing your previous movie. Right. And what's happening unconsciously is that I'm, I'm connecting the feelings of making a good decision that you had before with me. So by gesturing in that, that spatial area, it's called spatial anchoring. Right, yeah. So by gesturing in that area, you're I'm, consciously, you're not aware, but unconsciously, your brain will associate those feelings with everything. So it's a way of, of building rapport to a much deeper level and yeah. more advanced level. Sure. So it's quite, people say, yeah, but that's unethical. Well, it's not because, you, you know, everything you're telling, telling the, your prospect is true. Yeah. You know, you, you, they are getting all the features and benefits and everything that you're telling them, but obviously you're using a toolkit to make them feel more at ease with you. Yeah, that's a good point about the ethics, actually, because... It is important. What is manipulation and what is elegant influence... I suppose for me, it would come back to, do I believe in what I'm selling? It's about having passion in, in terms of what you do, because, you know, when I first started off, I was called a charlatan. I've been called all sorts of, you know, and I've wrote articles that this man should be in jail. And I'm a very ethical person because yeah. I come from that background. Mm. So I think it's like anything, you know, you could hit me on the nose with your phone, even though that's not its intended use. So any skill or, or thing could be used, you know, for the wrong reason. Yeah. So I think the ethics and the integrity are really important with this stuff because, yeah, you can, you know, do things with the conversational hypnosis and, and the psychology of this and you can, you can do harm. Yeah. You know, so it's important that people do use it with integrity. Okay. So when you're teaching sales teams, give us some of the top things that either work the best or they love the most. Okay. I think it's to do with the anchoring, really, because everyone can identify with the fact that they can think about something in the past, yeah. you know, that evokes a certain feeling. So, you know, even if you can get, get, a, get a handle on what, what that person's passionate about, you know, so it may be a place, you yes. know. And I know we're all told, you know, when we get trained in sales, oh, think about, look at the pictures around them, and if there's a picture in, in Hawaii, talk about that. And, yeah, that works to a degree. But by, by drawing out and eliciting even more information about what makes them tick, um, also... 
you could say, how do you know, I mean, I'm really curious, how do you know you've done a good job? So if I said to you, how do you know you've done a good job, Rob? What would you say? When there's really good reviews about it, when yeah. someone tells me I've done a good job. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the same. So we would what we call externally referenced. So in terms of motivation, it's important to establish how that person motivates themselves into action. So for some people, they'd say, well, I just know. So problems arise sometimes in sales forces where you've got an internally referenced manager, sales manager, and an externally referenced salesman. Right. Because the salesman would say, do you know what? They never tell me, he never tells me I do well. Yes. And, but for the sales manager, he, he assumes knows. or she assumes that everyone's the same as them. Mm. So by being aware of the people that are around you and what makes them tick is really important. So again, you know, just by asking a simple question, you can elicit what makes that person tick. Yeah. And so, they love that. Yeah. You know? Okay. Something I've always found probably the most valuable is finding out somebody's values. Yeah. So... John Demartini was probably the person who taught me the most nice about guy. values. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. He's a good friend and a mentor of mine. And essentially, what's most important to you in your life will naturally bring out that question, yeah. will naturally bring out someone's values. Definitely. So do, do you use any kind of values-based work? Yeah, I mean, essentially, the quickest way to establish someone's core value, you know, is, is saying to somebody, so, you know, what's important to you about this? Yeah. And they may say, um, what well, gives me freedom? So when you have freedom, what does freedom give you? And then they'll give you another word. And then you say, so ultimately, having freedom and maybe that, that's flexibility, what do those things give you? And it may be happiness. Yeah. So if you ask somebody that question three times, the third thing will generally be their core value in right. terms of what drives them and makes them passionate about what they do. And then you build the pitch around that or the yeah. outcome. Essentially, yeah. So yeah. you build the outcome around that core value. Yeah. So everything comes back to that. So, you know, for me, it's, it's not manipulation. It's not being underhanded. It's well, you, all... I, I could throw that back the other way around and say, if you care enough about someone to find out what their values are and match yeah. your product or service with their values, you're actually, you actually care about them. Yeah, because you're going, yes, yes, you're going to get the sale, but it's about more than that. It's about having that relationship with that person and then knowing that you know, when you come around and when you're going to offer them something, you know, they're doing it from a point of view that they're not just wanting the, the signature on the line, you know, that you do care about their business and that you do... You know, you do want them to succeed, mm. you know, and, and you're there to do too good for both of you, yeah. not just you. Our common interests, you know, things we're both very interested in, is that good for rapport and sales? Does that make a difference? Absolutely. I mean, anything that, that, that builds similarity. I mean, they say that birds of a feather flock together, yeah. and that's true. You know, if you can establish a genuine interest, or if you've got a genuine interest in certain topics, and even learn from each other, you know, because we all learn every single day. Mm. No one can ever be all knowledgeable. Yeah. I often say when I do public speaking is I'll get a piece of paper and I'll rip the corner and I'll say, that's what I know and that's what I don't know because mm. we can never know everything. Sure. It's, br it's brilliant. And I suppose, because some people have said to me in the past, well, you know, what if we just don't have any rapport and we're really different? But you can still show a real interest in yeah. what someone's interested in yeah. and, uh, you know, show a desire to learn more about it. No, oh, you know, you like martial arts. I'm rubbish at martial arts. Yeah. I'd love to know more though. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about this is some people do it very... When people mess up is, for example, if, if you say you love martial arts and I say I love martial arts but I know nothing about it and I end up looking silly because I'm trying to convince you that I do and you clearly know I don't, right. it's yeah. much better to do what you've just did and say, look, I don't know anything about, it, about it but I'd love to learn. You know, yeah. I'd love to get, so that's, mo that's coming from a point of view of having a lot more integrity yeah. than some salespeople I've seen in the past that just are basically just overly, you know, like if you've got a picture with you, oh, I've got kids, or yeah. I've got that car, and you haven't. 
it becomes, it's yeah. just, I don't know, it just seems really false. Yeah. Um, another interesting one is people often say to me, you know, if you've got a, a, a prospect that's really sort of dismissive or, you know, somebody might say, oh, that he never buys anything. You know, some people have this old myth about if I fold my arms, sometimes it can be a, a signal of disinterest. But I would encourage people to match them. So if you match that other person, because it might just be a comfortable posture. Yeah. And at some point in that in the conversation, just begin to slowly sort of go to this position. They'll find a lot of the time, 80, 90 percent of the time that the person will begin to match you. So you can lead even a, even a, a cold client, you know, out of that place where they are and feel very comfortable with you. Yeah. So even if someone's like that, even if it doesn't feel comfortable for you, just try it, mm. you know, because you're still you, you're still retaining your values and beliefs, but it's about leading that person to a common ground yeah. where, you can, where they can be more receptive. And how do you work sales techniques into a way that you don't seem like a machine because about 10 years ago, I did a load of personal development courses. I mean, I've done yeah, sure. I've done about 1.2 million pounds worth of courses yeah. and mentoring and, you know, have consultants mm. in because I really believe in it. But, you know, when the sort of NLP courses were big in 05, 06, 07, yeah. I did a lot. Yeah. And you got all these people that were really digital about it and Absolutely. almost like machines. Yeah. And it was all about hypnosis. And you're just like, what are you doing to me? You know, how, <laughs> how, how do you do it naturally? I can identify with what you're saying because, like, it's almost they want to go out and just, like, fix everybody. Yeah. I think, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and everyone was, like, trying to put me in a trance and all that. And I'm yeah. like, no, I, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And Because body yeah. mirroring and matching I mean, you're, you and know, leading can be so overt and obvious, it, can't it? It can. And, and obviously, you know, you're aware of all this as well. So I think it's just taking what you've learned and integrating it and... Be yourself, I think, is the thing is. Don't go in somewhere and try to be the, the big shot or yeah. try to be something you're not. It's just, this is what I've got. This is who I am. It may work for you. It may not work for you. Mm. But I think, certainly in a sales context, if you genuinely get on with that person, you know, maybe they say, look, Darren, you're too expensive and maybe I can't budge. And you may not get the sale on that occasion. Yeah. But I think business, the problem sometimes in business is everybody wants it now, yeah. you know, they, that person may ring you back in a year and say, do you know what, Just come and see me again because I've had a fallout with my existing company. So I think there needs to be some sort of longevity in this process. Yeah. But for me, I, I often find people that I work with, they want it all now and it doesn't work like that. Right, yeah. Is it true the saying that people buy from people they like? Absolutely, because I think first and foremost, you, you can be a lot cheaper than, than the person I'm currently buying from. And you can be, you know, fan the product can be even doubly fantastic. I think first and foremost, it's about having that, that genuine rapport with somebody. And all these techniques that I've spoke about, they're just something in your toolkit. I think if you're the sort of person that loves people and loves to talk, you know, I think that's going to come over. Yeah. And people will gel with you and they'll realise at some point in that process that you are a genuine person. Mm. You know, you're passionate about what you do and, and you're just being open and honest. You're not yeah. there to hoodwink them. Sure. How do you know when to go for the sale and then when to back off? That's a really good question. I think... Uh, I, 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 I'm going to need to take some notes here. <laughs> well, I, I get asked that a lot. I think, for me, it's almost like an intuitive thing. You know, so we spoke about being external or internal, but we move in and out of those two places depending on the situation. And, and for me, when I was sort of... Or when I do sales now, is it seems to be a natural place that, that occurs. For me, it's a sort of a, a feeling that I think, well, okay, so before we, we kind of get everything sort of put into place you know is there anything else that, you, that you're concerned about anything else that i need to tell you yeah you know so it's almost leading into the close 
rather than just kind of get the contract out, the dreaded contract or yeah. and, and, and the pen, and because that's the point at which you know most people get get the kick, you don't they? You know, most people sort of raise objections at that point. Mm. But I think if you've been building rapport all the way through the conversation and you allude to the close, you know, rather than making it a milestone, it's almost like. Before we kind of get things in place, then Rob, is there anything else that you need, you need right. to ask me? So you, they call this test coat closing or pre-closing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's essentially at that point you're going to say, "Well, hold on, Darren, I'm not, I'm not yeah. decided yet." Yeah. Then, then, so, I, then I know I need to go back and either build rapport. Yes. Or you know, there's some objections I've not established. So you're trying to avoid this sort of shock where it's yeah. like, "Wait a minute, you just said that too early." Yes. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I think by testing the water, it's just a good way of, of mm. finding out if, if you've covered every objection. Sure. Okay. Something a friend of mine who's also a Sandler trainer yeah. did, which I thought was really good. We were talking about him coming and doing some public speaking for us, and he was telling him about his, his fees and everything else. And he, the first thing he said to me, well, first off, Rob, as we decide what I'm going to do for you, what would you want to happen so that everyone in the audience, when they're filling, that, filling in the feedback forms, thought yeah. it was absolutely great? Yeah. So A... He's getting me to think about a happy audience. Absolutely. And then B, he's getting me to state an outcome. So then what he's going to do is he's going to try and match that outcome. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really clever. Absolutely. And then the next thing he did, he said, when we agreed it, but obviously we, the invoice hasn't been paid, he said, yeah. is there anything that could come up between now and paying the invoice that might be a bit of a problem for us? And um, I can't remember what I said, but I said, well, no, I think it's all right as, you know, as long as you deliver the brief, etc." Yeah. So... He was getting me to state an outcome in which I would be really happy with him and then in advance getting me to state any problems which would stop me paying him the money. Yeah. I just thought they were good. It was good. It was yeah. quite a future pace. Yes. So estate agents use this a lot when they're showing people around. So I'm very curious, where would you put your TV or where would you put your settee? And they're getting them to attach their, their, their sort of personal items to that property. Right. It's almost like a form of anchoring. So, yeah, by getting you to future pace, you know, how it would go. And again, in coaching, as, as you know yourself, having done a lot of stuff, is, you know, what's gone well, what's not gone so well, what could we do differently? So it's, it's eliciting potential issues. So, again, to, to, to minimise buyer's remorse, yeah. you know, that's a great technique that he did with you. You yeah. know, what, what could possibly come up between now and then that would stop you going ahead? Yeah, because if I have got any final objections, there they come, and so he knows it. Yeah. Yeah, someone else, something someone said to me, uh, it was a friend of mine who's a speaker. Yeah. And in the speaking world, the thing that everyone hates is when speakers go way over time. And he'd been at an event and he said to me, Rob, just before I come and speak on your stage, I just want to tell you about what happened at this last event. You know, there was a speaker on before me and he went way over time and he upset everybody and the promoters never promoted him again. And needless to say, I'm never going to go and speak on his stage again because I was like an hour over time and I was on into the evening. And, blah, blah, and then he carried on his conversation. And what he was doing was making sure that when his slot and time frame yeah. is on, yeah. Uh, in my mind, he's almost programmed me to oh, make sure we're it's on It's a clever way of just setting the frame, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's again, another, another clever way of doing it without kind of being quite confrontational, saying, look, mm. I want you to do it like this. Yeah. You know. The, so it's, it's almost like um, selling an outcome through a story. Well, it is. I mean, there's a, there's a really great book, which you may or may not be aware of, Words That Change Minds. Are you okay. aware of that book? No, I'm not. Right. It's a woman, really, you know, Shelley Rose Charvet. Um, she's Canadian. It's been around about 10, 15 years now. This is literally all about, I mean, I, I kind of, this is what I train essentially, is it's about establishing people's hot buttons to buy. Yeah. You know, so this internal, external is part of that book, um, listing for the way that people make decisions. So, you know, some people, you know, like I'm the sort of person, if I want something, I walk in, get it, walk out. Whereas some people will probably need to go back two or three times 
play with it, get all the information. Is there a way you can find that out in the process? It's essentially, yeah, just saying. So in the past, can you tell, again, asking the question, tell about a time in the past you made a really good decision. Yeah. And, you know, what was important to you about that? You know, what was the process that you went through? Can you tell about a past decision? Mm. So by them telling you about that, it's the same process. In terms of, yeah, so they're, they're, they're unconsciously telling you what to say next yeah. in order to... So if you know that they're the sort of person that may, maybe takes two or three opportunity you know, chances to or maybe it takes two or three uh, opportunities to buy yeah. to make a decision you're not going to change their pattern and so right. what some salespeople tend to do is just keep on and on and on and then they break rapport and it's and like they lose them then they lose them yeah. so sometimes it's better to recognize that people essentially don't change rob yeah. you know if they make decisions you know to buy a settee that will be the same you can extrapolate that out for everything they've ever bought, because yeah. that they because the, their general pattern of behaviour won't change. Yeah. So by just you know asking a few questions and eliciting what that is, you'll save yourself so much time. And in mm. the long run, you may not get the clothes there and then, but you'll certainly get it two or three uh, visits down the line. Yeah. I've got a bit of a history of uh, being disruptive. Okay. And uh, I've had quite a few PAs, more than I would probably like in my in my record. And when I first started recruiting, it was like, let's sell the company and sell the dream. Yeah. And we probably got to a point where maybe we, we didn't intentionally oversell it, but maybe we did a bit and then people come in and it's not quite what they want. And what we started to do recently is almost the opposite because of my reputation. And we're like, well, if you want to work with Rob, don't expect to get everything done on your to-do list. Yeah. He's, he won't, sometimes you won't hear, hear from him for weeks and then you'll get a massive email at two in the morning. It's almost like we're giving all these warnings. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one on no, that. No, not at all. And, um, and, and, you know, we give all these warnings. And what it reminds me of is uh, I've been listening to some podcasts and some people in who deliver podcasts have been doing these dating tests. Yeah. Where instead of going, oh, I'm great at this and I'm great at this and yeah, I'm like this and yeah, I'm like this. They're almost like they, they dress purposefully really badly. They don't, you know, they don't sort of, you know, shave and they're a bit messy and they're, they're almost telling people all the problems about them and oh, I'm probably not very easy to get on with and I'm probably a bit stubborn and I'm probably a bit stubborn, blah, blah, blah. And seeing if they're left at the end. And yeah, we've taken an almost like reverse psychology approach to HR yeah, now. Yeah. Because yes, we want people to take the job. Yeah. But we want to attract the right people. Sure. Are we going wrong in either of these extremes? Is there? Is it? Yeah. Is this? Is this qualifying people well, or does this just make people? Because sometimes I think I'm doing all this. It just makes them want want it more because it ends up being yeah. reverse psychology. It's really honestly, this is this is really fascinating because because I'm like that. I mean, I'll, I will literally because my hours. I mean, three o'clock in the morning. You know, I'll be I'll be working on something. Yeah, because we're manic, crazy entrepreneurs, and that's, that's what we that's do. What we yeah. do. We do. We're nine to five, and we're, so we're not easy to work for. That's absolutely. So this this kind of two people, the, the two patterns, we we all called options and and um, and open. So effectively, we don't set, stick to a set procedure. You know, it's whatever works to make it make it happen. You know, whereas HR people, um, people that are PAs, they have a very well. They're they're called um, specific procedural people. Right. So they like to stick to a list. Yes. So if things are in the right place, it will drive them crazy. Oh, I've, I've had two or three like that. Yeah. They, they just can't. They, they don't stay with yeah. me because it's too chaotic. And yeah. you know, they like they want to tick things off their list. Yeah. Well, that's the main reason. I mean, you know, there's there's some that I used to work with that was like that, and we just we just agreed that it wasn't going to work because. Yeah. I'm all over the place, and that system works for me. Mm. Whereas they they wanted this this paperwork on time, they wanted this thing filling in, and they can't complete their report because I've not submitted this. And you know, obviously they were working for me, but they were very procedural. What they've discovered is that, for example, when if you were recruiting salespeople, the way to recruit salespeople is if you were to say, 
emailing with your CV or writing with your CV, if you're going back to snail mail, you probably wouldn't get the right sort of person because salespeople are, and by nature, very yeah. proactive. Let's do it now. So you'll find that for salespeople or people that are going to be in a proactive environment, you get them to call, you know, because they want to do it now. Mm-hmm. People that are more HR, uh, more procedural, they won't call no. because by definition, they tend to be more reserved, yeah. less confident. Want to plan. Want to plan more. Mm. So they're the sort of people that would want to fill in an extensive application. Yeah. So it's all about, I think, getting that balance of what sort of person you want. And there's no finite sort of system as such, really, for, get, for, for getting one or the other. I mean, because they still need to be quite procedural to a degree because yeah. you want things doing. You don't want somebody off the scale options. Yeah. And if you say, well, where's that? Well, I haven't done it. Yeah. So you don't, by, by the same definition, you don't want that sort of person. Mm. There's no definitive answer to the question, Rob, really, but it's just being aware of, is somebody very specific procedure off the scale? I mean, you can generally sort of establish that from, from interview. You know, yeah. if, if, say, how do you go about, you know, if I have to give you this task, you know, how would you go about that? You know, if they were, well, I'd consider this and I'd, I'd research that, you know, rather than saying, well, I'd just see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I've even heard people say, oh, I like to get things ticked off my list and they'll even do this. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not yeah, going to like, that. you know, you're going to, yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, you can tick stuff off your list with me, but you're going to get stuff back on your list and your list is going to be bigger the next day. Yeah. yeah. So people who are very like perfectionist. Yeah. They're just right. They drive each other crazy. Yeah. You know, if you've got, if you've got two people, options um, and procedural they will drive each other nuts. Which is like me and my fiance. Which is good. <laughs> it's still working though. Yeah. Okay, so so if let's say you're recruiting, do you think you should give the sales pitch big sales pitch for the company? Do you think you should use the right reverse psychology approach where you're like, these are all the downsides of us? Is it a bit of both? Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot quite a lot of work in this. I mean, first off, they say twenty percent of people applying for a job will commit a fraud to get a job. So it's not just about blagging a CV. Yeah. It's about blatantly. I mean, I've done some lots of in London where, you know, 100K plus salaries and um, you've had people that have literally lied about were even working at a job. Right. But to come back to your question, I think it's going to be a mixture really of in terms of, you know, what do they know about the company? You know, where have they worked before? Have they been in this sort of zany environment before? Yeah. You know, was it regimented? How did you get on? How, you know, what were, you, what were your feelings? Be honest about it. Mm. And that's where they know the deception stuff. Because if they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally used to all this, Robin. You know, it was like that before. And, and generally they're not. They're just trying to pay you lip service. Yes. They'll then again give off deceptive signals, not because they're trying to lie to you to, to kind of get one Because they want over. a job. They want a job. So they'd rather yeah. white lie to get a job because that's yeah. the thing they want. And the more they need a job, so often people think this deceptive training is all about the negative. It's not. It's about getting trusting your instincts and seeing changes in pattern of behaviour because you want the right person. If they're saying, yeah, I'm used to being, you know, crazy, off the wall, proactive, yeah. then you want to see that their behaviour is consistent with what they're telling you. So that's how it all kind of ties in almost in a way. Yeah. So I think it's just about having that balance. Okay. So if you're interviewing someone, how can you get the truth out of them rather than the standard spiel, such as, you know, I love solving problems. And when you ask them about their weaknesses, well, I'm a perfectionist, but that's a good thing. You know, you hear all these sound bites, you know, like when you go to best man speeches and they research the same jokes. I know. And you know they've just read some book. So how do you get behind that and work out what they're really like? Well, I can, I can think back to like many years ago, I went for a job myself and this, when I look back now, this guy was David Brent yeah. um, <laughs> in Kent and he had this glass, I will remember, he had like this glass head and he went, sell me that kid. And he got me CV and he just went and just threw it. <laughs> and he went, sell me that. And right. I, I tried to sell it him and I didn't, I didn't get the job. But yeah. as I look back now, I thought that was a great refreshing way 
You said a really interesting stat earlier, and it was something like the average person lies up to 200 times a day. Yeah. That is a shocker. Wow. So have you got any other surprising stats like that about lying or telling the truth? Yeah, the, the, the average sort of 10 minutes of conversation. So I don't know how many we've told here, but in the average 10 minutes of conversation, the average person will lie three times. And that can right. be generally like an innocuous. You might say, oh, Darren, are you okay? Yeah. And I might have a migraine right now, but I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm great. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. So, you know, Things as small as that, right up to big lies. So that's where they get the stat 200 times. But yeah, generally 200 times, 20% of the job applicants commit a fraud and 10 minutes of conversation, you'll lie three times. Yeah. That's the sort of main stats that, that right. we say. Any common lies you saw when you are in the police? I think generally, you know, things like seatbelts, you know, they were bread and butter of police in seatbelts, lights out, being on a mobile phone, you know, like so I was behind a guy once on his phone. And I'm just sat there. I thought I'll give him to the I'll give him benefit of the doubt to put it down yeah. before we get to this island. And he's still on it. Right. And I stop him, and he's like, "I wasn't on my phone." <laughs> if he'd have said, "Look, I'm so sorry, I, I shouldn't have done it," and I said, "Okay, you know, get yourself an hands free, get yourself off," because yeah. I was that sort of police officer. I wasn't, you know, like this crazy ticket writing guy. But this particular guy just fronted it and fronted it and fronted it, you know. And he was like, "I says, right, I'm just gonna show you something." So I pressed the camera, and you know, he's like, "Right." So, so sometimes just the tenacity of people to, yeah. to to insult your intelligence, really. If there's three lies every ten minutes, we've been speaking for an hour. Yeah, What's thirty lies. Yeah, statistically, really? that's what they say. Wow. I'm trying to think what I've told you, which is a lie. I don't know. Yeah. Can't think of any, but we'll yeah. play it back and see my tells. <laughs> This podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? I think for me, it's a great thing because I think, I, if people don't know me really well, they'll know that I am just off the wall with it. Yeah. You know, um, I think when people first meet me, they think I'm going to be this kind of really serious. Yeah. But no, I think it's so important to keep changing, keep evolving. Right. You know, don't stay with, you know, if something works, great. But every now and then, I think a, little, a bit of disruption is a good thing. Yeah. For okay. me. Great. And... Do you ever have a problem, just as just sort of like yeah. a random question now, but do you ever have a problem with people because you're so well known for being the human lie detector? Does that affect how people are with you sometimes? Is like your reputation precedes you almost? I think so. I think it's going to get worse. I've just shot the um, next series of Judrinda crime right. stories. I'm on that in June. Yeah. So obviously going to raise my profile somewhat. But but generally, when I do meet people, certainly in the media, you know, they make a joke and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, a, bit, a bit scared of how I'm going to come over. Yeah. And I just reassure them and say, it's too late. I've already made my, my opinion of you. Right, you know, yeah. start laughing. So you have a bit of fun with it. A bit of fun with it because, you know, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I don't walk around and sort of scrutinise everybody. Mm. You know, I'm just uh, just a down-to-earth guy. I love what he does. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I don't just sit there eyeballing everybody. No, sure. That'd be tiring. Yeah. Another random question. If you're someone who's got great skills in watching people's tells, sure. does that sometimes f make you feel like you know too much? You know, for example, as a kid, you yeah. always imagine, wouldn't it be great to know what everyone's thinking about you? But you know as an adult, that'd be terrible because yeah. you'd just drive yourself mad knowing what they're thinking about you all the time. Yeah. You, you know, being Darren, knowing and seeing people's signs, does that somehow take away the mystique and the beauty and the surprise of life? Or can you turn it off? Do you know what? That is a really good question. I've never, ever been asked that. In all oh, we've I've got done. one in that you've never been asked. I think sometimes thinking about it, yeah, it is. Because sometimes you'll meet somebody and they seem really nice. And then I'll see something and I sort of kind of think, oh, that's a shame. Yeah. You know. Because um, maybe you don't want to know that. I don't want to know like that. A bit like the example where... You had the friend and the person who was cheating on me. I mean, you yeah. just don't want to know that information with your friends, No, you? so I think, again, you know, I'm not Darren Brown, I'm not a mind reader, sometimes I can be wrong, but generally once you know these skills, mm. you can't turn them off. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm vegetarian and I went somewhere 
went somewhere recently and um, about the tongs because I'm a bit a bit OCD when they, when they, oh, they use meat I, in I there. Have, yeah. And I said, oh, I said you've not touched the you've not touched the the meat ones on the on the on the on the, on the hash browns, have you? Yeah. And, and they were like, oh no, no, not at all. Yeah. You know, and and they, they did this gesture because there's yeah. a with people there's a thing on the back of the neck which is why when people go like that when they get stressed when they lie right. there's a rectal men there's a rectile tissue on the end of the nose almost like Pinocchio right. that they'll tend to go like that and to yeah. gesture that tingles and also when people you know are under pressure straight away they'll tend to go like that but she made a couple of gestures and I was like no I'm alright thanks yeah. and uh, just be honest with me you know yeah. I said be honest with me you know, you've not, you've not got cross contaminated those tongs have you yeah. and she's like no not at all <laughs> you have know, washed your hands when you went to the toilet, didn't you? Not yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got its uses, but but yeah, sometimes you know it is a bit of a curse, really. Mm. Yeah. yeah, just a, a bit of a throwaway. That's a good question, question, though. So where can people find out more about you, Darren? Well, website is obviously um, DarrenStanton.co.uk. Twitter at DarrenStanton. I'm yeah. on LinkedIn. Um, I think Facebook. that's how we got in touch. That's how we it? got in touch. Yeah. yeah, so generally through Twitter or... or um... And I noticed you retweeted some of my stuff, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to programme you to retweet this when it comes out. But... Right. <laughs> so before we begin to tweet even yes. more, Darren, so, and that's the other thing, it's about creating relations, it's yeah. about helping each other, because no matter how big somebody is, mm. you know, it's about creating, generally it's about creating that, that relationship, yeah. you know, I think, and, and if you can help and support other people... Yeah. I need help and support, you know. Mm. I, I don't think I know it all and I've, I've not arrived at my final destination by any means. Yeah. So any help or support I can get or feedback, I'm happy to take it. Yeah. Darren, it's been a pleasure. It's been Thanks a pleasure. Me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Cheers. You. Thank you. Rob again, stay with me here because I've got a gift for you. I get asked for these a lot and I thought, well, I'll, I'll leverage my time and yours and I will put these four things I get asked a lot into a free gift for you. So if you go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report, then what I've done is I've written for you an article on the top 21 apps I use to create the mobile lifestyle. I've written an article on the 14, my most favorite educational, inspirational, informative documentaries of the you know, most inspiring people in the world. I've written uh, which ones they are and a synopsis of each one. I'm very well known for having lots of very specific goals, detailed vision values. So I'm sharing with you my particular document I use, I've PDF'd it for you. And also the fastest ways I know to make money for startup and scale up entrepreneurs. So I've written an article and a detailed report on each one. I've put them all into one. And all you have to do is go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report. You get those for free. I'll never ask anything from you, spam. I'll never spam you, never sell to you. And then also once a week, I'll send you a new article or a new video content that's a bit different that maybe you wouldn't get normally from the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I hope you find that useful. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Thank you.